1968 was a year marked by chaos. The Tet Offensive escalated the war in Vietnam. Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy were assassinated, and the differences in American culture was pulling the country apart by the seams. At a time when violence seemed to be everywhere, nine people decided a protest would help bring balance to the turmoil. Leading this protest were two priests that would go on the run to preach their message of peace. Hello and welcome to How's It's Not a Movie Yet, the podcast that looks through history and finds stories that could make really cool movies. I'm Tom Courtney. And I'm Alex Courtney. And Alex, who are we talking about today? Today we are talking about Philip and Dan Berrigan. Yes, Philip and Dan Berrigan, who were peaceful protesters uh, and they created what in the 1960s was called the, the Radical Catholic Left. And they had an interesting way of protesting, which... Father Dan, no, Father Philip invented, and then uh, his brother Dan. So so to give you some background on these two guys, they were brothers. They were born in Minnesota uh, to a railroad engineer, and um, that kind of factors into a lot of uh, Father Dan Berrigan's uh, writing. We're going to call him uh, Father Dan and Father Philip from now on. And uh, or Dan and Philip, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> like well, referring works. to their names that way, whatever, uh, whatever works. <laughs> they were obsessed with peace. They were anti-war, and they didn't believe that the Vietnam War should be fought. The origins of their beliefs were that all of these wars were against God's will, and they used God's higher authority as a defense in court. So that's where they got their anti-war sentiments from. And Alex, they were they were pretty major figures when it came to the peace movement in the New York. Well, they they were all about trying to get as many people away from the war and wake up as many minds as they could about how bad Vietnam really was at that time. Yeah, no, they were they were uh, the definition of peaceful protester as well. And uh, in 1968, they decided to ha- hold a protest. Now, a few months earlier, Father Philip was involved in what was called the Baltimore Four. They were very much against the draft, which is actually what most of the peace protests were about, was a, was a, against sending someone who was against war, who didn't want to go and fight, to the front lines. And Father Philip and these three other protesters broke into a draft office and poured blood on the draft papers. Some of which was their own. Yeah, that was it was a it was off. a bit weird, but you could see what you know. It was a it was a symbolic protest. It was a uh, protest to highlight what these draft papers would do, and uh, they got arrested and charged with felony for defacing government property. Now he was out on bail, and they formed this uh, a religious coalition along with a a monk in New York that would come up with peaceful protests of how to protest the draft. And while Philip was the one that came up with the plan, it was Dan who really utilized it and found fame through it. Uh, so what this plan was, there was a, a draft office in Cantonsville, Maryland, and the second level of a Knights of Columbus office. Nine people from this group, Father Daniel, Father Philip, 
George Meesh, Mary Mullen, John Hogan, brother David Darst, which I love that name. Yeah. Tom Lewis, who was an artist at the time, Marjorie Bradford and Tom Melville, they were uh, a couple. They grabbed five reams of draft paper and brought it out into the parking lot. Now, at this time, war in Vietnam was escalating. Uh, president Johnson had famously said that he was not going to be the first American president to lose a, a war and was going to escalate the numbers of troops in Vietnam to 555,000 and was uh, he needed to draft 50,000 people a month in order to fulfill this quota. So they took these draft papers out with hundreds of thousands of people's names, of, of men's names, who were eligible for the draft, and they took it out into the parking lot. They had called the media before they did this and told them when they were going to be there, and they burned the paper. With homemade napalm. Homemade napalm. How dangerous. Well, yeah, yeah. Even leading up to it. Well, of course, this is... Uh, what was the quote that he said? Because using this napalm was symbolic. So the um, Berrigan had a quote that you that you were looking at, uh, you know, that kind of highlights this this um, this protest. Our apologies, good friends, for fracture of good order, the burning of paper instead of children. Yeah. So he didn't want these men to die. He didn't want any more people in Vietnam to die, and he. They this nine this group of nine they decided to take the draft papers out and burn them and erase them essentially from the record because remember they didn't have any computers of this saved and once those names were burned they were they didn't exist on the draft anymore and there was no way to find these names again or I guess it would but it would take months it would take maybe even years in order to find these names again well yeah because there's you know as you said no hard drives so they stayed there and they prayed. Uh, and they, the quote that you just heard was actually from a prayer that Father Dan created for this protest. Um, they, they waited for the police to come and arrest them, and they didn't put up any uh, resistance in being arrested. They were charged with four felonies. Uh, the biggest among them was destruction of government property and also interference with the draft and there was a draft act that they had done if you had like if you had burned your draft card in the 1960s that was also uh, a felony and it it was this um a draft act of 1967 that uh you were violating or and you could go to jail for that so the uh, they were going to go to prison for this now they kept on appealing and appealing and they kept the trial date uh they kept moving it uh ahead or kept moving it back so they would stay out of prison for as long as they could while they were doing more protests while they were finding um, uh, more people to uh, uh, while they were trying to change the minds of of people who didn't agree with them Uh, this also inspired a whole bunch of other draft paper burning protests like the DC-9, the Camden 28, and uh, there's a whole bunch of them uh, uh, that was the same kind of protest. But the trial comes around. They hired the the lawyer, William Kunstler, who was a advocate, a big um, uh, activist at the time, uh, helped with a lot of anti-war efforts, and uh, they were all found guilty of of the counts, and um, put into jail for three years or at least that's what you know the court thought because the court said you know you're going to start your prison sentence at this time so they were going to have to report to prison on on april 11 1970 and on april 11th four of the nine father daniel philip 
George Meesh and Mary Mullen didn't didn't show up. They figured they could uh, be better use outside of prison, working and and giving speeches and talking underground. Right. They saw that not going to prison was a protest in and of itself. Yeah. And they, they became, he became the first priest to ever be on the uh, the FBI most wanted list. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, now begins a chase where Father Dan keeps on outsmarting the FBI at every turn to try and stay out of jail for as long as he can. Everyone who knew about this protest, about him not going to prison, everyone he talked to about it, they all said that it was not a permanent thing, that he would eventually turn himself in. But until then, he wanted to protest as much as possible and make... Because he knew that if the FBI was looking for them, his name would be known. It would it, his name would get out into uh, America faster than if he was just going around protesting. He'd be more visible if he was on the run from the FBI. Well, this leads into when his first protest that he had it led up. It was about a week after him being on the run, so. Where it was, was uh, Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. And waiting until a certain day to go and protest, there was a specific protest that was going to happen on April 17th. So he hid out in a friend's basement for a week. There was Harvey and Brianna Fireside. Their last name was Fireside. So awesome. Such a cool name. Father Dan was an associate chaplain of the Cornell United Religious Works, and Harvey uh, was a professor at Cornell. Father Dan went and stayed with him, his wife, Brianna, and then he had uh, a few children. He had a four-year-old, Doug. He had a seven-year-old, Leah. And then he had two undergraduates also staying at that place, uh, Shelley and Audrey. Now, with this, the FBI kind of ruled this place out because of the children. He, they said no person would stay at a hiding spot with little kids because they can't keep their mouths shut. And the FBI was correct in this. Uh, the little girl, Leah, went immediately out to all her friends in her school and was like, I guess who I have at my house right now. The man's hiding out. This is so cool. I love this. You know, she went out and told everyone at that school. But what the FBI didn't count on was that it was the East Hill School, which was a uh, alternative education experiment. Oh, my God. (laughs) That... (laughs) Leah's parents help found. So the students, the teachers, and all the parents knew the firesides. So therefore, they all kept their mouths shut about it. No one went out and told, even though Leah was telling everyone at the school. That's such a funny... Because I could see that scene where the FBI is, is talking about a child not being able to keep a secret. Smash cut to... This little girl screaming in her in her classroom, 
I have Father Brannigan at my house. I mean, like, it's such a perfect and funny scene. Uh, also, the way that he was hiding out at the place. Now, uh, the the wife at the time, uh, Brianna, she was pregnant with a son, and she also went out to buy Father Dan a, a disguise. It's, it's a hilarious anecdote that... It's surprising that the, the FBI wasn't able to find him there. She went out and bought him a motorcycle helmet, riding goggles, a leather jacket, fake beard, and mustache, all at the store to hide him when they were going to bring him to the college to speak at this uh, protest. Now, the FBI knew he was going to be at the protest because it was actually named America is Hard to Find, which is... Uh, the book that he had just published. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, Dan Berrigan it was a prolific author. He had wrote, written, written over 50 books about peace. He, I think it, it, at one point he was averaging about one a year. Uh, so he was a, uh, uh, a very well-known writer at the time as well. Uh, and a good poet as well. He, he won a lot of uh, awards for poetry. The FBI knows that he is going to be at this protest. They go to the they go to the protest. They the FBI try to blend in. They try to dress like the the hippies that are around. So they wear hippie wigs and they are standing there with these bulky radios <laughs> and straight laced looks that they stuck out like sore thumbs. I just because it, it, it is you, like it's the it was a 1970s version of a hippie that these men these uh, uh, these FBI agents had in their heads so you could see that they were going over the top and it was so apparent that they were undercover everyone knew who the FBI agents were at this protest and they were able to point them out to uh, Father Dan who was able to make an escape and this the way that he made his escape was fascinating Father Dan hopped onto the stage, gave a speech to 15,000 students, and at the end of it, there was a troop of puppets that had that were doing a version of The Last Supper. Now, these puppets, we're not talking like hand puppets. We're talking these massive, huge puppets that people would fit into, almost like, like gigantic costumes. And that's exactly what he did. He went into one of the puppets and just marched right out. And for the next four months, was able to attend protests and give speeches and then disappear before the FBI could ever catch him. So he was an expert at evading the FBI and was on their most wanted list for four months. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover was, he, he said he was embarrassed by this priest's ability to evade his G-men. So I, I think that it was um, an amazing feat in order to evade the FBI for as long as he did. The others that were on the run at the time, Father Philip, George Meesh, uh, Mary Mullen, George Meesh was arrested a month later in Chicago. Uh, Father Philip was uh, arrested at a protest that he and his brother attended where his brother had not arrived yet and the FBI raided too soon and were and uh, arrested Philip and put him in jail. And Mary Mullen, she, she was never caught for 10 years. She was on the run. She was never caught, and she finally turned herself in ten years later. Uh, it, and she was a she was a feminist. She was a uh, she her major goal in life was to prove that women were equal to men. And I was reading a article by George Meesh about uh, being on the run, 
and how he was a proud about uh, proud of Mary that <laughs> she was able to evade the FBI longer than he and the other men were. That, she, that he thought that that proved her point. Yeah. Uh, Father Philip in jail was befriended by an inmate. And I don't think that Philip, I think Philip was a very trusting person. He must have been. Yeah, he told he told the inmate where his brother was heading and where his brother was going to hide out. And the inmate actually turned out to be an FBI informant. And within a week, Father Dan was arrested. So at Block Island in Rhode Island, the FBI snuck on to the island disguised as bird watchers <laughs> and were able to arrest... Father Dan, he was hiding out at William Longfellow's house, who is a, um, a famous theologian. And Father Dan went to jail for three years. He was he was finally caught. They finally caught up with him. That was the ballad of, of Father Dan. But I tell you, they have a picture of him being caught, <laughs> and he has the biggest smile on his face. I'll put it up on on uh, the uh, on my our Twitter feed and on the Facebook page. It, it is. It's it's great. He has a huge smile. He, he looks very proud and he looks he, he looks like um I don't know, he looks happy with himself. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so how do we turn this into a movie, Alex? I was thinking it was going to be serious but then as I read on a bit more about him and all the different things, I can see this being more as a uh, comedy as along the lines of Forrest Gump. Yeah, right. I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't say comedy. I would say more like, um, uh, dramedy. Yeah, I, I guess dramedy. Uh, I, I don't really like that word because it's a fun story and I don't want the the fun drowned out by how serious it could be. Yeah. Uh, because you could turn this into a courtroom drama that's like really, really dark and heavy or you can make it like Forrest Gump where you're enjoying what you're watching where it's it's a fun it's a fun movie and i think that uh, Zemeckis could do a really good oh, job directing definitely. this i was also thinking of the coen brothers because the coen brothers have done this time period really well before but i think Zemeckis would be the better way to go i'd say Zemeckis i think their his style of uh, filmmaking goes par- parallels this pretty oh, well and could you imagine the soundtrack Oh, well. I mean, like the, the 1968 to 1972, uh, it would just be you could pull uh, all those awesome songs. Uh, oh, and uh, by the way, fun fact: the radical priest that Paul Simon mentions in "Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard" is in reference to Dan Berrigan. And I think that "Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard" would definitely be included in the soundtrack. Oh, it have to be right. No, I mean, them. I mean, like you'd have you'd have. Simon and Garfunkel, you'd have, uh, you could have The Doors even, or, or some really great protest music, uh, The Volunteers, uh, oh, you yeah. know, things like that. Jefferson yeah. Airplane. Jefferson Airplane. That would be great, because, I mean, like, it was right at the height of the peace movement. I think it would be a lot of fun. So, who did we choose to play Father Dan? Father Dan, I like either Jeremy Irons or William Defoe, but you had Christoph Waltz. And I think that one's, I think you have to land on that one. He looks, uh, if you guys look at the, his picture, Father Dan looks exactly like Jeremy Irons. It's incredible. It's, it's uncanny. I, incredible. But I think because Christoph Waltz, like they say like about his character that, that uh, Dan was um, witty and funny and had a, like a sense of humor. He has a line where in the first place that he was staying, in his first hideout, he... <laughs> Harvey brings him downstairs and is showing him where he's going to be staying in this dark basement and there's a cot and he looks at him you know 
that couch upstairs <laughs> looks a, a whole lot more comfortable than this. Right. No, that, no that's so funny. We, we were also thinking about the, the trial attorney. William Kunstler could be played by Kevin Nealon. And because I, I think that Kevin Nealon would do a really good job playing this this famous activist lawyer. And the, that would make the courtroom scenes really well done. Now, the way that we saw this movie being set up was that the first act, it would start, the movie would start with the protest. That it would start with these nine people marching in, grabbing the uh, reams of paper, marching them out to the parking lot and setting them on fire with homemade napalm. I think that's a really strong way to start this movie. And then we would go to the trial, and that would all be in Act 1. That would be in the first, like, 30 minutes of the movie. And then Act 2 starts with a rousing speech by Dan to the other nine about how why they should go on the run and why that would be a better protest than anything that they could do in prison. Absolutely. And then after that, you have the, the protest, the, the, the big protest at Cornell and staying at the fireside of residence and his him being on the run for the rest of the movie and finally ending with him getting, uh, caught, getting caught. Yeah. You know, juxtaposed by the FBI that you could have a really good uh, FBI agent chasing him down or you could have Leonardo DiCaprio reprising his role as J. Edgar Hoover. Or, you know, the, the FBI agent looking up and being, what, what bird is that? I have no idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know anything about birds. <laughs> the FBI agents in the picture when he's being arrested are uh, are no-nonsense men. Oh. They do not look like they have a good time. No, you, you are you are frightened when you see them. <laughs> when you see them, you don't think bird watching. No, no. I was also. We were also thinking about the the firesides. Uh, that Adam Scott would play Harvey and Jenny Slate would play uh, Brianna Fireside. That and um, I think that would be a, a they would be a really fun duo to play off of. Yeah. And and have Christoph Waltz asking to, to sleep on the couch and not in the basement. <laughs> I would have that question asked like four or five times <laughs> See, throughout I, that. Did you get that couch though? <laughs> like, Man, that couch looks comfortable. <laughs> All right, guys. So that's the that's the movie. Uh, special thanks to Daniel Fireside. Uh, he wrote the article at Medium. And you could find it. I'll put it up on on Twitter. Fantastic article. Great, great first person piece. Also, the uh, piece by George Meesh that I'll put up. Uh, it was that was a really good first hand experience about what the Kentonville Nine protest was like. Uh, you could write us at uh, how not a movie at yahoo.com if you have any suggestions or if you have any ideas. You could also tweet at me at how not a movie one the number one. Uh, Alex, I think this was a pretty good show. I, yeah, I think it was pretty good. I do want to say, please give us feedback. I do like when or to hear what you guys have to say and what you're thinking about how we're doing. Yeah, guys. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Enjoy yourselves. <laughs>